Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy, and we will be joined in a little bit by Nebraska head coach Will Bolt to talk all things Huskers and uh, you know their their outlook ahead of the 2021 season. But before we get to all of that, I've got to let you know that the Baseball America College podcast is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. If you want to check out the Rapsodo National Database, do so at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, we're, uh, we're here. The, the middle of January, we're hard at work on the uh, the college preview issue, as I believe we uh, mentioned on on the last episode of of the podcast, and uh, it's uh, it's all coming together, and and we're starting to get some some scheduling information coming together. the The 2021 season really really is uh, starting to to take some some shape. Um, last week, after we recorded the podcast, the SEC. Um, coaches settled on a, a scheduling format uh, today, I guess, is Wednesday, um, and the SEC athletic directors uh, approved that format. Uh, as I reported last week, that format is the status quo. There will be 10 SEC weekends of three games each, 56 games, all things normal, all things go uh, for the SEC. So uh, at least at least college baseball's, you know, biggest, most significant conference is uh, is going to going to push ahead as normally uh, in 2021. Of course, we know other conferences are not doing so, uh, but in the SEC, it's uh, it's status quo as as we head into the 2021 season. And looking more and more, frankly, like the 2021 season, while it will, as we've discussed numerous times, will have its fair share of ups and downs, I'm sure, it does seem like we are getting closer and closer to more of a status quo season than I think you or I really ever would have imagined at any point up until now. Not only is the SEC going status quo, a number of other conferences are, and and even doing what the ACC is doing, which is more conference weekends, is really not that radical of a change, as we've discussed. They already play a lot of conference games and start earlier, so even that is not too much of a departure. And so there, there are some outliers, and I'm sure we will discuss some of that in the context of the Nebraska discussion, because the Big Ten is, at least in terms of the bigger conferences, a little bit of an outlier now with still sticking to the idea of going with just conference play. We'll see if that that holds, of course, um, because <laughs> there's a precedent for the Big Ten obviously staking out a position and then obviously and having to go to back on that. We've seen that uh, on, on previous occasions. So We'll see if that ends up being the case. But I have to admit that at no point up to this point of the, the offseason slash preseason have I thought that it was going to be as much of a kind of a status quo feel as it is, even to the point of, you know, I saw that the Southland Conference is, you know, had originally announced that it was going down to four teams in a conference tournament. Now it's back up to eight. And, you know, whether or not other conferences elect to do something like that, I don't know. I mean, that seems like that could be kind of just a, a one-off or, a, a, you know, a couple of different one-offs for different reasons. But that's certainly not something I expected. If nothing else, I kind of expected conferences that had made decisions like that to kind of at least just ride it out for 2021 and see how it feels a little bit. So 
That was a bit yeah, of a surprise I was, to me. I, I was very surprised by that as well. And I frankly don't understand it because, um, you know, the reason why these conferences cut down on conference tournaments isn't for any sort of competitive reason. It, you know, it was, it was all money-based that, you know, you have to extend seasons for all these teams and hotel costs and, and all the rest of that. And I mean, that's all still true. And uh, the revenues aren't there. So unless the Southland just feels like they're going to be able to recoup some money with the football season, not being outright canceled. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I, I fully get that. I, 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 it's great. I'm sure the coaches are, are all thrilled as well. I mean, that, that news is pretty fresh. I haven't been able to talk with anyone about that, but um, you know, it, from the outside, that one's uh that one caught me off guard, and, and I don't know how many other conferences will uh, will follow in that. But the Southland does have a lot of people in that conference that really, really care about baseball, and maybe that's what's what's driving that, just the desire to give baseball and presumably other spring sports a, a more normal season, as, as we've seen, um, you know, that sentiment kind of around the country that these players lost last season. Let's try and make this season as, as normal as possible. I think you're right that there's just an interest in baseball in the Southland. I think that plays a role. I also think that there's the fact that it's a relatively compact geographic conference. Uh, there are obviously some outliers looking at you, Central Arkansas, but there are some some outliers there. But most teams are are drive are within e- relatively easy driving distance of where they play the conference tournaments, and so you know it's. So it's not necessarily like you're getting a bunch of teams on a plane to come play this. I think that plays a role. I also think you know, because, because of where it is, I think they're more likely to be able to have some fans And this is not a situation where they're, they're in a state or a locale generally where they're going to have fans uh, as restricted as, as possible. So I think they maybe are hoping that, Hey, you know, if we can get four more teams in here that are relatively local, we can maybe recoup some money on the gate a little bit. So there are probably a lot of different factors going into the, into the decision there, but I'm with you. I was, I was certainly surprised to see it. And and if I had to bet, I would say that maybe, you know, one or two others do something similar, but I can't imagine this is like a, going to be a great rollback of the changes made to, to conference tournaments. Yeah. I mean, the Mac, which cut all kinds of conference tournaments, cut the number of basketball teams coming to going to their conference tournament, you know, I it, conferences that made decisions like that. I, I don't think you're going to see them roll back. Uh, those decisions, you know, this spring, I, I, I would be very surprised if um, a bunch of conferences followed suit on that. I got to say, uh, you mentioned how close we're, we're getting. Of course, we, we talk about this every week, the season drawing ever closer and I'm back in it in a big way. I mean, working on preview stuff always kind of does this to me where I'm always going to be excited about, you know, the race in the big 12 and the sec. And I'm, I'm gonna always going to be excited about the the mid major conferences that I, I love to follow year after year, but I mean, let's face it, it's just human nature that there are some storylines or conferences or, or what have you that you're just not as invested in as others. That's just the way it works. But during conference preview season, I can like talk myself into getting excited about just about everything. It's one of the reasons I like doing the preview content is it, it really does kind of give you a, a pretty good picture of what's to come. And so not only has that been great, but I've started going back onto YouTube. I'm on my YouTube searches again, looking for some old games. And that, that's a sign for me that I'm really ready for it because I'll go through waves. Obviously when the season was canceled, we were doing those podcasts where we were talking about old games and that lasted really until the summertime when the season would have normally ended. And then I kind of went into a lull and, you know, I start following things like college football and the MLB season and, 
it kind of fell off. But now that we're getting closer to the actual college season again, I feel like I'm back on that horse a little bit and, and really jazzed about it. And um, it's, you know, there's just no feeling like the, the preview season when you and I are as busy as we are, you know, ever really going to be. Um, but, you know, it, everything seems possible, you know, there, that we, we don't know anything yet. There's always, it's nothing but upside for us at, the, at this point of the year. So that's, that's always the case. But I think this year in particular, it's, it's heightened even more. Absolutely. Always, uh, everyone's excited this time of year and, um, you know, everyone's team is undefeated. So that, that plays into it. But as you look around the country, hard not to be, uh, be excited about any number of things. And, you know, one of those things, uh, we, we can certainly get excited about, I think is, uh, you know, this Nebraska team that, that we're going to talk about with Will Bolt here in a second. They, uh, you know, it was, uh, a so-so, uh, for season, I, I guess is uh, maybe fair to say uh, for Will Bolt in Lincoln, they went seven and eight against a really tough schedule. Had you know played, I think one weekend at home when the the season was canceled. Nebraska gets home a little earlier than than most of the Big Ten teams, uh, being that they're a little more on the southern end. So they, uh, you know, they've taken some lumps, but you know. It, when you look at what this team has back, I think it's, it's pretty exciting. Um, I'm, I'm certainly excited about the offense. We'll, we'll see how, how the pitching staff stacks up with the rest of the big 10. And I think that's going to, you know, go a long way to determining, uh, you know, where the Huskers fall in the, the, the big 10 standings this year. But I, it's a, it's a very intriguing team. I think Will Bolt's a, you know, pretty intriguing person as he, you know, moves into his second season. Uh, in Lincoln, in charge of his alma mater, coming up from you know where he'd been at, at Texas A&M there for for several years as, as an assistant coach. So, I, I it's a like I said, it's an intriguing time. I'm interested to see what the Huskers have uh, on the field this year. And so, you know, to to get a feel for that, we're we're going to talk here in a second to Nebraska coach Will Bolt. But first, check this out. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we're excited to welcome in Nebraska coach Will Bolt. Coach, you're getting ready for your your second season in charge of the Huskers. And as we really get ready to crank up again with with practice starting and the the season not that far away at this point, just how excited are you about getting the 2021 season underway? Yeah, first of all, Teddy, thanks. Appreciate you having me on. Um, I, yeah, just any semblance of of normalcy uh, at this point is is obviously welcome. Um, we the the fall semester for us ended up um, at least from a COVID protocol standpoint and a training standpoint ended up being um, pretty productive. I think, especially when you com- in comparison to maybe some that I've talked to. Uh, across the country, we were able to have a good fall, um, get a six-week training period in, and um, not have any stoppages. So, um, if we can continue that on into the spring, and um, just again, it just—it's crazy to think it's been almost a full year uh, since these guys have played a, a meaningful college baseball game. Um, we would certainly welcome some of that normalcy, and and we're certainly really excited about getting going. Last year's team finishes the season seven and eight, but that's really pretty deceiving because you played an extremely tough schedule early on games against the likes of, of Baylor and, and Arizona state, the San Diego schools. Uh, what did you learn about your team, even in just that short window? Yeah, you said it. Um, 
it, we, we had a, a really difficult schedule um, to start and played a lot of quality teams, a lot of NCAA regional caliber teams. Um, we really, um, in a short period of time, we got to see um, our team compete at a really high level. Um, started off with a win on opening day. Um, I think we scored 11 in the first inning. Uh, start, started off with a bang and um, lost a heartbreaker on Saturday at Baylor. Um, couldn't hold a lead late, had a chance, had a save opportunity late in, in, the, in the game after battling back. Um, hit a big grand slam in the middle of the game and fought back from down six to two to, to take the lead or, or five to five to one, something like that. But showed a lot of fight. Um, I thought our offense performed at a pretty, pretty high level um, for the majority of the short season. Um, I think we ended up slugging better than I probably thought we would have just based on our personnel, um, hit some doubles and home runs, um, scored some runs, um, had some leads um, in the back half of games against some really good teams uh, and really just weren't able to finish them off. Just uh, maybe just ran out of, out of pitching from time to time. Um, but we were able to see our guys compete really hard. Um, and I, I was proud of how they bounced back. I mean, we're down um, five to zero on the Sunday game against Arizona state. And they've got just an unbelievable offense and a great team who had a chance to really compete to win it all. And we're staring at that point in time, a seven game losing streak in the right in the eye and um, down five, nothing on Sunday with a chance to pack it in and head home and um, maybe try to ride the ship once we got back to Lincoln and, and played some home games. But, um, that was kind of the turning point of our short season is we, we found a way to come back and win that game and um, gain some confidence from that and, uh, you know, finish, I think, winning six of seven. Uh, so, you know, saw, saw some – a lot of fight. Guys played extremely hard. Um, I think we had a lead in every game but one um, throughout the entire season. So it meant we were getting off to good starts. It was just a matter of finishing some games off, and we knew – Heading into the offseason, we need to address the pitching depth um, to allow us to finish off some of those games, um, kind of shore up some some of the defensive um, issues that we saw early in the year, particularly on the infield. But, um, but yeah, I was proud of how our guys bounced back, and, and uh, we were trending in the right direction when the season got canceled. One of the guys that was playing really well in that, that short season was Leighton Banshoff. And, uh, you know, he really came out of the gates swinging the bat really well as a freshman. Just what allowed him to do that? And, uh, you know, what have you seen from him this fall uh, as, as we get ready for 21? Yeah, what allowed Leighton to excel as a freshman was really a similar attributes and qualities that a lot of guys that have some success early. Um, obviously, you've got to have ability uh, first and foremost. I mean, like we said, we're not facing – um, I mean, we're facing all regional teams basically right out of the chute. Um, so he, he had a didn't really had a chance to to cut his teeth. Um, I mean, he had to jump right into the fire, and and he. But the the attributes and the characteristics that he shows is he just he's very even killed. He's very competitive, but he's just very even killed um, with his emotions. Um, he's very coachable. Um, he, he's a, a great teammate. He's very selfless. Um, a lot of the things we saw from him 
right away when he stepped foot on campus and he had a great fall his first fall here with us and you know we, we penciled him into the dh spot right away um and he was so selfless i mean he he was a high school shortstop that admittedly uh you know aesthetically wise he, he wasn't gonna wow anybody um he, he knew he was probably gonna come here and play outfield um but we you know, didn't have a ton of depth on the on the dirt, so he ended up playing some third base for us, a position he hadn't really had any experience with. Um, so just very selfless player, um, good swing, um, hit a couple of huge home runs in that game I talked about at, at Arizona State. Um, you know, was national or one of the freshmen of the week in, in the Big Ten that week, and uh, just very consistent, and that, that goes right along with, with – his demeanor day to day is just very consistent. And I think that's what allowed him to get off to such a good consistent start for us. Spencer Schwellenbach is one of the more talented players in the, the big 10 and, and the country at large. What have you seen from him uh, just in the last year? And then give us a little bit of an idea of what the expectations are as far as maybe him being a two way contributor for you this season. Yeah. Spence is, um, he's a very talented player. Um, another great competitor. Um, you know, had a, played a bunch of shortstop as a freshman, played some third base, plays, played a little bit of first base as a freshman under Coach Erstad. Um, but a lot of shortstop and, and played an extremely high level in the games that mattered the most down the stretch for that regional team um, in 2018 or 19, I guess it was. Um, just he's got he's got some physicality to him. He's got a plus-plus a arm at shortstop. He came into college – uh, with a with an arm injury and, and ended up having to have surgery after his freshman year, um, so I my first glimpse at him in person was uh, last fall when he couldn't throw, uh, so all he had could work on at that point in time was his footwork. And man, he made a lot of great strides. He's a, you know you look at him at first glance, he he looks like a maybe a bit of a, a, a little bit of a bigger body um, shortstop, but He's a former soccer player. He's got great feet, and his feet have just continued to get better and better and better. And then once his arm finally got healthy, you start to see, you know, why a lot of scouts really like him. I mean, I think he's got a 70 arm, um, you know, across the infield and um, still had yet to see him pitch uh, until this fall. Um, finally got feeling pretty good, good enough to get on the bump. Uh, first time out, 93, 94, 95, 95. I mean, just every fastball, just low to mid-90s, throwing strikes, spinning the slider first strike, throwing a changeup. I mean, he threw three different pitches his first outing this fall in about a 12-pitch inning uh, and threw them all for strikes. And it was kind of one of those moments where you're like, are you kidding me? This guy's a junior. He's never pitched a college inning in his career, and he comes out and does that. So – um, he set the bar pretty high that way, uh, but he's, he's going to hit in the middle of our order. Uh, he's going to be our everyday shortstop by all accounts. Um, he's a great leader for us. And, you know, he's going to be used on the mound. I mean, he, he feels good. He feels healthy. Um, he could stretch out because he throws a lot of strikes. Um, he could not maybe just going to be relegated to being a one-inning type guy. And then maybe as the season gets going and we can manage the arm, um, see if he can continue to stretch out because I think – he definitely has the ability to be as, as good as any arm that I've had a chance to be around, and that's saying a lot. So he's got a lot of talent. 
Logan Foster, a player you're very familiar with going back to your your joint days at, at Texas A&M now is um, he's ready to go this year after after his transfer. Uh, you know, what are you expecting from him uh, th- this spring? Yeah, Logan brings a lot of experience, like you said. I mean, he he had, I think, three uh, 200 at-bat seasons. Um, so he's got close to 600 at-bats under his belt. Um, he's seen the best of the best in the SEC week in and week out as far as arms go. So, you know, he's he's seen um, – he's played in the postseason. He's played in the, in the College World Series. Um, he's from Lincoln. Um, so he's very familiar here. Um, with the surroundings and, and, and the Husker program. So, you know, he brings a lot of experience. Um, in the interim last year, he brought just kind of a voice to the players um, just to give them a heads up on kind of what to expect as far as how we were going to run the program. And um, he's a talented player, um, had a good summer playing for the Savannah Bananas last summer, was able to get some at-bats. Um, and he's, he looks strong, uh, motivated. Um, healthy and uh, you know he, he's going to factor in uh, definitely factor in for us um, in the outfield. Switching to the mound for a second, uh, you added Chance Roach from New Mexico State uh, as a guy to, to add some some quality to the, the the rotation potentially. How excited are you guys to have him? And also, how excited is he to no longer be pitching at altitude at New Mexico State? Oh, yeah, I, I, you know it's a it's an interesting question because I mean he he won twelve games and, and I think he won twelve and one there one year with like an ERA uh, under three, so around three, uh, so. You know, he found a way to navigate it. I, I'm to answer your question, though. He is um, going to be an enormous addition to our staff, and he's already been an enormous addition from a leadership standpoint. And and not necessarily that he seeks out um, the leadership role, uh, but just almost by default because he's got so much experience and had so much success um, at this level. We we knew we needed to get older on the mound. We've added some transfers, um, and, and he's just an absolute stud in terms of knowing who he is as a pitcher and that's a good lesson for a lot of the young guys that maybe try to do too much and and uh you know try to throw the ball through the backstop I mean Chance has got a good arm but I mean he knows how to navigate a lineup and he's been really good for our guys to lean on that way and um he's going to get a lot of ground balls he's got a good good slider to put you away with he's got a good change up uh, to feature against left-handed hitters as well. And he just knows how to hit, set hitters up. He fills his position well. Um, all the things that you would expect from a guy that doesn't just overpower you with stuff that's able to put up the kind of career that he's put up. Um, so he's going to be – and we were extremely excited when he chose to come here. Um, he was really good this fall, and um, he's going to be a big factor for us this spring. We've talked a lot about the idea of a of spring season. Um, you know, that right now is a little up in the air, not not in the sense that it'll happen, but, you know, what exactly it'll look like. And so with that uncertainty, how are you going about preparing for some of this? And, and when do you feel like your best guess might be that there will be a little more certainty or, or a schedule or, or something more concrete like that? Yeah, um, you know, schedule-wise, I think we'll probably – probably within the next couple of weeks, I would think we'll, <clears throat> we'll have a little bit better feel with what that's going to look like um, here at Nebraska and in our league. Um, you just, 
at this point and what I've told our team is we we've all seen it all at this point in time as college baseball players and coaches. I mean, we we've had a, a season essentially ripped away from us last spring. Um, and, and just, I mean, when we had no idea it was coming quite honestly. Um, and obviously, you know, since then and in, in, in hindsight, of course, it was the right decision to be made at the time, but we we've seen, we've seen it all at this point and, you know, we can't take a day for granted. I mean, I think we're just excited to number one, um, you know, be back here and be, you know, be getting some practice in to get ready for a season period. Um, Cause it, there's been some, some dicey moments along the way, but our guys are going to be prepared for whatever that schedule looks like just to be excited to, to get out and compete. And that that's really been the message we, we tried to hammer home here is like, Again, remember when, what it felt like mid-March last year to not have baseball anymore. Um, whatever that looks like this spring is going to be better than that. And, you know, uh, our goals are still going to be there in front of us no matter what the schedule looks like. So um, take care of what's in front of you. Don't take a day for granted. Um, just take care of your business. And, and um, you know, you have a chance to, to play in the postseason. All those, all those goals are still out there. So hopefully we'll get some more clarity in the next couple of weeks. Um, but until then, we'll just we'll just train um, and, and prepare for whatever comes our way. You have quite a long history with uh, Nebraska, having played there, been a captain there, you a couple of stints as an assistant coach there. Now you're you're obviously back in the big chair. Uh, what's kept you coming back all these years? I think it's just the the, the place, the the school, the pride um, that the, the entire state has, and, and the Huskers. Um, and that was something, you know, I'm, I'm a Texan. I grew up in the Houston area um, and, and committed to Nebraska when there was snow in the outfield on my visit. And I, I felt a, Lincoln has a very unique feel to it. it it's a city of 300,000 people. It feels like a small town. Um, there's a lot to offer. It's safe. It's clean. It's a great education at Nebraska. Um, just it's the people it's the the support the administration gives all of our sports uh, baseball is a priority um, we were one of the first even back in the big 12 to kind of have the um, multi-million dollar stadium um, we've got the facilities necessary to develop players um, it, it's you got all the pieces in place to to allow you to have a chance to win and those are the things i was sold on as a player coming out of high school was um hey, we're going to build this new stadium. We're going to have all these things available to help you uh, succeed in academics and in uh, life skills and in uh, on the baseball field. And, and you know, those things have, have stayed true through the years. Um, basically, in the since the fall of 1998, when I was a freshman here at Nebraska, I mean, those things are, are still here and they resonate with me and they've resonated with me through the years where this is a special place and Husker Nation, you know, the, the network here, everywhere we go and travel to play, there are Husker fans there. And a lot of times they outnumber the fans that the team that we're playing against. So the support is second to none. The support of the administration is outstanding. And uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a great place to be. And now, you know, 20 years later, it's a great place to raise a family as well. I've got three, three young kids and um, it's just a, it's just the Midwest values are, um, you know, it's, it's a real thing. So um, that's really what keeps me coming back to Nebraska and then hopefully it keeps me here for a long time. 
you played under Dave Van Horn. You coached with Rob Childress and Darren Erstad, all great baseball people. Uh, what have you taken from each one of them into your own coaching? Yeah, with, with Coach Van Horn, it was um, his will to win and his competitiveness was what, what drove him. It's what drives him. It's what made him um, be one of the most successful um, college baseball coaches ever, quite honestly. I mean, he's um, – and what I observed as a player is he was fiery, um, but the game was always about the players. Um, and he knew that recruiting was the lifeblood um, of his programs. I mean, he knows he's only as good as the players he recruits. And I, I learned that from from Rob Childress as well, just kind of first coming up into it. That was made abundantly clear as like, hey, you know, you've got you to work hard at re the recruiting part of it because that's – like I said, that's the the lifeblood of the program, and and Dave just demanded excellence from us every day, um, and that's quite honestly what drove us is, was just um, having coaches that were um, going to hold us accountable in every area, in every way, every single solitary day uh, that we showed up. So, learn that from him. Uh, Rob was a, a great mentor. He had a way um, of and he still is, um, both those guys. But uh, Rob just always had a way of getting the most out of his players. Um, he's obviously a dynamic recruiter as well um, when he was an assistant and continues to be getting great players at Texas A&M. And just he was also the mentor that, you know, he could be hard on you, but he also you also knew that he always had your back and he was the guy that you always kind of went to his office, you know, to hash things out with and um, kind of have that personal relationship with as well. So learn that. From him and Darren, um, Darren was just super passionate about Nebraska and still is um, to this day. And just seeing his passion come through in the recruiting process to, as a head coach to kind of help um, close, I guess, so to speak, on some recruits. Um, and Darren's experience in the majors and, you know, he just – I learned so much baseball from him, um, probably as much baseball from him as anybody I've ever been around, just picking his brain um, the experiences he's had, what he's seen, what he's seen work. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just unbelievable baseball people. I'm obviously very fortunate to have had the chance to coach with some of those guys and, and play for, for Dave um, and um, certainly hope to, you know, every day just take a little piece of what I've learned from those guys and apply it to, to with our teams. We will uh, start to wrap up here. We will get to our, our sandwich question in, in just a moment, but I, I wanted to uh, cut in a little bit here because, you know, Coach Bold obviously spent some time in College Station. I, too, spent some time in College Station, and I know my answer to this question, but I'm curious if Will Bolt misses any of the, uh, the local food places in College Station, maybe Lane's Chicken Fingers or Fuego, Antonio's Pizza, Northgate, or just misses Whataburger like I do. Um, I'm curious if there's something from College Station or Texas more generally that you, you know you're going to miss being in Lincoln now. Oh, yeah. Well, there's, I think, probably a number one um, thing that I miss is Texas barbecue. Uh, there, there's no doubt about it. There's, there's times where – I absolutely am just craving uh, barbecue. And there's some good barbecue spots up here, um, but it just the abundance and the number of, 
I mean, I had the passport, I had the, you know, the Texas monthly, I think it was like the passport go on recruiting trips. Like, Oh, look, you know, there's one of those, there's a joint, you know, 20 miles from where I'm going to go be recruiting and I can be sure to hit that up. And, um, so yeah, I would say, um, Texas brisket, um, that would be a number one, um, thing that I, that I miss about, um, you know, not having to have every day. Uh, yeah, I, I hear you on that. Living in North Carolina now, that the Carolina folks are really proud of their barbecue, and, and I, I'm polite about it. But let's be honest, like it's just not not quite not quite the same deal. I know I'm not. I don't turn it away. Don't get me wrong. I still sure. enjoy it, <laughs> but uh, I'm not rude. But uh, but it's just not quite not quite the same deal. So let's uh, let's wrap as we always do here by talking a little bit about sandwiches. And, and so, uh, you know, you choose a sandwich, just, uh, you know, some place, sandwich you get, you know, at a special, particular place, a sandwich you build yourself, however you want to attack the question, Coach Bolt. But uh, Will Bolt, please describe your favorite sandwich. It, it, it kind of, to follow up on, on, on our conversation about, you know, what I miss in Texas, it, it's a very simple, uh, straight to the point sandwich. That's not a lot of frills. There's not a lot of um, extra fixings on, on the sandwich. It's just, it's a basic white bun, barbecue burnt ends. I'm going to, I'm going to go burn ends for the win every day of the week. Um, with a little bit of, little bit of barbecue sauce. I don't like the burnt ends that are lathered in the sauce. I like more of a dry rub with a little bit of sauce that I can put on the sandwich. Um, and a, and a couple of pickle slices Maybe a couple jalapeno spice, uh, slices if I'm feeling froggy, um, but yeah, the the burn-in sandwich um, that that would be my go-to, a number one right there, no doubt about it. Yeah, can't uh, can't blame you there. I, the burn-ins is kind of an unsung hero of the barbecue world in, in my mind. People go to the the brisket or the, the the pulled pork in the Midwest, you know, things like that. But the, the burn-ins really is kind of if you can get good burn-ins, uh, yeah, you're really. You're, you're really hitting it out of the park there. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on the sauce too. The sauce should be a, an extra, you know, that the sauce, while there are some sauces that I just love, love, love to me, the sauce should not be the star of the show. It's the, let the meat be the star of the show. And you kind of just dabble with the sauce a little bit to kind of make it a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, and you know, and in some parts of the country that it's all about the sauce in some places it's all about the slaw. Uh, that's just not how it is. It's, you got the, the blue collar uh, aspect of the burn ends and the dry rub. I mean, that's anybody that knows anything about barbecue knows that that's, that's where it's at. So. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, coach, now that we're all, uh, you know, hungry for some barbecue, we're, uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to let you go and, and try and find some of that barbecue. We're, we're really pleased that, that you were able to, to join us here on the podcast. We're excited about what the, uh, the Huskers have in this 21 season. I'm just hopeful we get to uh, get to see as much of it as we can after, uh, after what happened last year. That's right. Well, I'm excited. Thanks for having me on guys and uh, always enjoy talking college baseball. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Thank you again to Nebraska coach Will Bolt for joining us here on the baseball America college podcast. Joe, we, uh, we covered a lot of ground there. I said before the interview started, I was really inter- interested in the offense. And after we ran through some of those offensive guys with him, I mean, I'm, I'm maybe even more excited about the, the potential of this, this Nebraska team offensively. You know, we'll, we'll see what that means for the team overall. But, you know, I do think this team is, should be able to hit the ball pretty well. Yeah, I don't think there's any any doubt about that. The numbers last year were, were 
plenty good. And I don't think it's necessarily a mirage. I mean, they played very good teams. So it's, I was, I was going to say, you maybe believe some of this mirage. They played some games and on the West coast, maybe some in some offensive environments, you know, maybe you could, you could find little nitpicks there, but I, but I think that's largely offset by the fact they played some really good teams early in the season. So I don't, I don't think that offensive production is, is much of a mirage and it's, it's not just, you know, Schwellenbach and we talked about Van Joff, but, but guys like Aaron Polinski and, and Cam Chick and, and guys like that who had really good starts to really good starts to last season. We're hitting with power and what have you. Um, it, it, you know, we, we talked about the addition of Logan Foster. I think that's big and adding a little bit more depth to this offense and, and chance Roach on the mound because the feeling I got with Nebraska and the offense did have some depth, but I think just generally it kind of felt like Nebraska was a little bit top heavy last year where you really liked individual pieces there with, you know, you'd love to start Banjoff got off to you love, you know, that, that um, Spencer Swellen, Swellenbach was doing what he was doing and on the mound, you know, maybe the numbers just really weren't there on the mound, but there were a couple of individual pieces you kind of liked, but it, it didn't feel like there was just enough depth beyond the, that top line of guys to make you feel confident in Nebraska maybe being a, a, a postseason team. Now, they were going to have some things in their favor. Certainly, their early season schedule meant that if they played well in the Big Ten, they were going to be in pretty decent shape. But I, I really liked the high-end talent. I was less enthused about the roster once you got beyond that first wave of talent. And so I think adding some of the pieces they've added, and we talked about a couple of them there, I think really helps lengthen both the pitching staff and the lineup. And now I feel a little bit better about Nebraska being in, in the potential postseason mix. And there are about a million reasons why it's going to be tough sledding for them. Uh, it's a, you and I talked a little bit about it offline, but it's a, it's a pretty good year in the Big Ten in terms of I think there's teams like a, a Maryland, for example, who are on the come up now that have been down the last couple of years. That doesn't help. And the teams that are always good in the Big Ten really aren't going away, Michigan, Indiana, et cetera. So it's always going to be tough sledding. And then you add the scheduling aspect on top of it, where if, if the Big Ten doesn't go back on doing conference-only scheduling, it's just really hard to see the committee giving a lot of benefit of the doubt to Big Ten teams outside of maybe the top couple finishers in the conference. And at this point, even if they do go back on doing conference-only games, so much stuff has shifted around right now. I'm not even sure what the Big Ten would really be getting schedule-wise. So it's just hard to know what that role that's going to end up playing. So we can like what Nebraska has or any team in the big 10, but it's really abstract to figure out what that's going to mean in the end, unless you win the conference or finish a close second or something like that. Yeah. Uh, evaluating big 10 teams or the field of 64, something I started messing around with is, is again, as we work through some of this preseason content and I uh, got to say that one's going to be hard. Um, if they're not going to play non-conference games, it's, it's really, really going to be hard to get, um, much of an evaluation. Um, and, you know, I, even if they play non-conference games to your point, you know, it, it, as it stands, they're probably not going to get major conference games, um, having canceled all of them. And, and th none of this is to say that there's any real movement for them to roll back their decision. There's just a lot of, I think, people around the country looking at it and saying, well, you know, if the SEC is going to play a regular schedule and all of these other conferences have said non-conference games are okay, like you, are, are you, are you going to go with this Big Ten? Like you still haven't like formally come out and said anything. Um, 
you know, the only reason it's, it's just something that, that is out there because they, you had to go and cancel all these games. You know, we've seen a lot of conferences come out and and say something formally about what they're doing. And, And again, the big 10 has not done that. So uh, you know, that's where some of that's coming from. But I, I don't think they're, I don't necessarily think they're going to walk back this decision. And um, even if they did, what would that look like? So it, it's going to be what it is. The, the one thing, though, about that is that, you know, there are a lot of teams in this conference that are going to pitch at a really high level. Um, you look at Michigan, you look at Ohio State, you look at Maryland, you look at what they have on the mound. I'm probably forgetting something. I, I, I somebody. I, I don't mean to do that. Minnesota has the potential to really pitch at a high level. Um, Illinois has that potential as well. I, you, you look at what these teams can do on the mound. I don't know how well Nebraska is going to match up with that. On the other hand, they have what may be one of the better offenses in the conference. So, how is that? That that just makes it a fascinating matchup all season long. Nebraska's bats versus some of the the top pitchers in the conference, you know, a, a Steve Hadger, a JP Massey, Aiden Maldonado, Andrew Hoffman, you know, guys like this, you know, what is that going to look like? That, that, it, it, it those series should be really fun. Just trying to figure out who's going to have the advantage on any given weekend. Yeah, that's, that's, is, you know, I'm always interested in these kind of matchups, you know, just the, the kind of maybe there's some value in Nebraska zigging where everyone is, is zagging and what that ends up, you know, what that ends up looking like, because on one hand, you could see a scenario where they, you know, the offense is, is good, but, but not necessarily great and game changing and they just get out pitched every weekend. Or you could see a scenario, wow, this offense is really great and look what it does to all these good pitchers across the big 10. So I want to clean something up real quick too, because I, I got to, to go in like I do when I was talking a minute ago and I, I conflated a couple things, Aaron Polinsky now with the Yankees organization, I was trying to draw the comparison. You look at what they did early last season and that gives you confidence what they do next season. Aaron Polinsky, not part of that mix again in, in 2021. He's now a member of the Yankees. So I just wanted to clean that up there, but still plenty of, of reasons for, for optimism there. But you, I mean, you're right. I, I, I think there's just, I feel like it feels like we've just seen this movie before when it comes to the big 10. And so now they've, you know, a kind of become a little bit of a punching bag or punch line, if you will, in, in some circles about the way they've handled all of this. And then I think, you know, we, we saw kind of how it played out in, in football more specifically. And, um, you know, I, I think there's just kind of an assumption that's the way it's going to go. But, you know, like we've said, it's, it's not that easy just because, okay, everyone else has kind of rolled out regular schedules to some degree and has cut down on the number of non-conference games. And, you know, I, they could probably get some games against, you know, teams in the region which they'd have to do anyway but is that necessarily going to be any any better so that that's obviously an, an open question we'll have to see how that how that plays out but you um gonna be a fun season the big 10 regardless you know you sent me as you worked on the big 10 preview stuff kind of your your, your projected standings and um you know there's some certainties at the top but really once you get into the middle it, it's easy to believe just about anything in terms of the, the finishing order and that's been the big 10's mo you know frankly you know, there's been a number of seasons in recent years when you've gone into the final weekend and you and, and me and I remember Dave a couple seasons ago playing the game of, okay, there's these four teams a half game apart in the Big Ten standings. Which one are you betting on with two weekends to go? That is a game that we seem to play in the Big Ten every year, and, and I'm here for it. Um, you know, I'm here for if the Big Ten is maybe going to be a little marginalized by not playing non-conference games, at least make your conference season interesting and and let the best teams in the conference shine. And so here's hoping that 
at least we get end up getting that in the league. Yes, I would. Uh, I would agree with that. Sorry, I. Uh, I, uh, I I was reporting news um, while while you were talking there, Joe. The um, not to spin this back to the SEC, but the SEC will be operating uh, under pretty much the same schedule in 2021 as it was supposed to in 2020, at least in terms of matchups, both opponents and sites. So again, we have uh, we've got all of that from the SEC, and uh, we have a uh, and I don't know. Uh, at this point from the Big Ten. Hopefully we can uh, we, we can get some of that that squared away. Was there was there anything in there that, that you specifically wanted me to uh, to react to, Joe? No, I just I was I was waxing kind of nostalgic for the days of you and me <laughs> and Dave on the podcast a couple of years ago playing that the game we seem to play every week, like the last three or four weeks of the season where it was like, here are these four Big Ten teams that are kind of all in the mix. Which one are you betting on? And like inevitably we're all wrong every time, you know, like that's how much of a toss up it was. And part of that's a function of when you play 24 conference games, there's just not a lot of time to separate yourself. That's part of it. But I think it also just is, you know, we've talked about this a million times, but the quality depth in the league, and it it just feels like in a year that, you know, where they, where they have a schedule that's really compressed like that. I think it's destined to be a a little something like that again in, in 2021. Yeah, I I think that's right. I mean, the one thing that'll be different this time, obviously, is that there will be more games. They're going to play more than 24. And I don't actually have that, but um, that's certainly the expectation. Um, So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that how that shakes out. It'll also be interesting, um, you know, because so often the Big Ten tournament race, we we talk about this, gets decided by who, um, who, who you don't play as much as who you do play because there's so few weekends and, you know, only eight weekends for a 13 team league. And, you know, now maybe there, there can be a little more equity to that. So I big 10, you know, could be, could run into something pretty interesting here again, like trying to figure out how that stacks up to the rest of the country is, is going to be a challenge for us, but more importantly for the, the selection committee, but, you know, anything they can play, um, you know, I've said it a million times at this point. I don't care what the 2021 college baseball season looks like as long as there is a 2021 college baseball season and they play more games than they played last year. So at, we, we do that. We get a postseason. I'll be happy. So, uh, you know, wh- whatever everyone thinks they can do most safely and most effectively, go ahead and do it we'll figure it out from there and I uh, can't complain too much about it. So I'd be excited to see the Huskers in, um, you know, in any, uh, any format, I would say. Um, intriguing team, not only this year, but, but going into the future, Will Bolt's been recruiting at a pretty high level. Not that Darren Erstead didn't, but um, I, I think that, you know, Nebraska uh, pretty intriguing as uh as as you look not only at 2021 but but you look into the future all right joe we um we've talked a lot about nebraska here but we also did want to touch on um another story or piece that we did last week and that was the uh the top 25 stories um in college baseball in 2020 uh stole that idea from matt norlander who did the top 20 stories of 2020 in college basketball for cbs sports Uh, we went five deeper 
uh, to make it a, a top 25 as, as we've been doing throughout the off season. And, you know, Joe, I, I think we both had, you know, a good time looking back at, uh, at what the, the, the big stories of the year were, I mean, there are obvious, a lot, a lot of them are not fun to look at necessarily, but, you know, uncovering, you know, some of the, the things that maybe we'd forgotten a little bit about, um, you know, on, in terms of on field action, um, you know, it, it was fun looking back on that and, and just an interesting, you know, final bow on 2020. Yeah, there's really two stories here. I mean, there's, well, two buckets of stories. One is just kind of on-field stuff, more traditional news stories, coaching changes, retirements, things of that nature. But the, I mean, the big story is is still just the fallout of the pandemic and, and what all that brought to college baseball. And that probably takes up, I haven't done the full accounting of it, but that's probably a third of the list is stuff that either directly is directly related to the pandemic or kind of came from two or three steps down the road of the pandemic. Things like, uh, you know, the five round MLB draft, for example, which, you know, uh, those like JJ Cooper at, at BA who have done a lot of reporting on that say was something MLB was kind of eyeballing to begin with a shorter draft and the pandemic gave them a little bit of, of cover. That's obviously an oversimplification, but, um, but that's obviously something that's downstream from the pandemic if you will. So I did kind of enjoy going back to some of the stuff that I, you know, from the before times, as, as, as we would say, it seems like that's the parlance that we're using now is the before times we've all agreed on that, but um, something like Binghamton announcing a $60 million baseball complex, which I love. I don't think we really talked about it on the podcast at the time. I know you wrote about it and there was certainly tweeting about it whenever it, it broke before last season, but um, it, it just happened at a time. Like it, it was like, two weeks before opening day, I want to say. And then like, I wrote, right. this, I finally finished my story like after opening day, because the time is so just jam packed. I do not think we got into that hardly at all. But it's just, I mean, the idea that the Binghamton evolved, like this is the, this is the fever dream. If you're like, if you're an alum or a fan of a mid-major program, this is like the fever dream of what could happen of like, we could be competitive is, you know, a guy, an unnamed donor, at least at this point, I don't, I don't think that has come to light, but an unnamed donor, it has not been named. you know, comes up, you know, just gives them 60 million bucks and says, this is for a baseball complex period, the end. And it's yours. It's not sharing with, with any, you know, the, um, you know, any sort of minor league team or anything else. This is, this is your baseball complex, knock yourself out. And, you know, in a conference like the America East, it's one thing if you do this in, um, I don't know, Conference USA, for example, where it's like, okay, well, Rice has a good facility and Southern Miss has good facilities. And there, there are teams here and there that have good facilities. I mean, this is in the America East, which I don't, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I mean, that's, they're going to lap the field in terms of quality of, of facilities in the America East. And Binghamton's already one of the more uh, successful programs in that conference. They already typically recruit uh, at least and particularly lately have recruited at a, a bit of a higher level than the rest of the conference there. Uh, so I, you know, I'll, I'll be very curious to look up 10 years from now and, and see what, what, what that has allowed Binghamton to do. Or if we end up just looking and saying, well, this is kind of nice, but it turns out that that's not enough to really differentiate. We'll we'll have to see, I would bet on the former and that it really is a game changer for, for Binghamton. But some of the other stuff was like Ed Blankmeyer, for example, stepping down at St. John's and, you know, you have to wonder it was a, a move that, uh, it was a good time for him to to make that move, but you have to wonder, you know, he could have never known, but you know, if he knew then what he knows now, does he make that same move? Because obviously the minor leagues immediately went into 
you know, never getting on the field. And now there's a little bit of uncertainty, as much uncertainty as there is about the college season. There is perhaps even more so about what the minor leagues season is going to look like in 2021. And I, I'm not saying that he's second guessing the general idea, but the timing on it sure has been poor. Um, but he could have, he could have never known that, but that's the type of story that, that does seem like it was from just a complete lifetime ago. Yeah, absolutely. And another one that I don't think we got into much on the podcast because that happened in early January. And, um, you know, I know we, it was one of the better open jobs this summer. So I'm, I'm sure we talked about it some uh, on there, but yeah, just a lot of, a lot of things like that, you know, kind of just go under the rug a little bit or, or fade to, to the, the back of your mind. And, you know, you look up and at the end of the year, like actually the, the, this is some of the most significant stuff, um, you know, of, of the, the, the year as it was, of course, you know, most of this happened off of the field. Uh, it was just that kind of year, but, you know, looking back on, you know, Dane Acker's no hitter or, you know, Bryce Jarvis's perfect game, which, you know, I, frankly, I, totally slipped my mind that it was a, it was a perfect game uh, until Joe <laughs> reminded me that that was a thing. Uh, so some, some great performances like that. I don't think it made the cut, uh, but you know, there were some crazy games like the, the UC Davis marathon game uh, that happened on leap day. I just, you know, it, it was, it was a nice trip back to, uh, to some of these on-field moments that of course got swallowed up by the, uh, the overwhelming, you know, change, cancellations, uh, you know, every, everything that, that, that happened because of, uh, because of the pandemic. One thing that obviously we, we would have rather had the 2020 season, that's not up for debate, but one of the silver linings of the situation is that it is going to create an opening day in 2021. That's going to be probably unlike any in modern history in terms of just the number of new ballparks that are going to be opening first thing in 2021, perhaps not on the same day necessarily, but, uh, you know, the, the home openers for a number of teams across the country, ranging from as big as Florida down to Nebraska, Omaha are going to be playing in some new stadiums, many of which, uh, those are examples of ones that were slated open in 2021, but, you know, UConn and Oklahoma state were set to play in those stadiums in 2020 and never got the chance. And so they will obviously open with opening day in in 2021. So that will be kind of cool. It'll, it'll be cool that we're going to have this, this big kind of reveal of, of all of these new stadiums that have been highly anticipated when, when we were going to get a couple last year and a couple this year. And now it's kind of created one, one big celebratory opening day for all those teams. Absolutely. And, you know, I probably get spread out. It probably won't be one big day, you know, Florida will open uh, on February 19 and Oklahoma state usually is on the road that first weekend. Let things warm up a little bit in Stillwater. They'll probably open a week later. And, you know, I don't know when Omaha usually goes home. I, Joe, I think you have a, a better sense of their schedule, but it'll probably be a little later than that. And, you know, UConn similarly. So, you know, we, we could have, uh, you know, some, some stadiums roll out a little bit over, over the first month of the season, I would guess, uh, which, you know, has, adds, adds a little, some, adds a little something to, to each weekend as, as, as we go on progressively. Yeah, that's true. You just parcel it out a little bit rather than, uh, which, you know, I suppose there's a positive there because if, if, if UConn's ballpark was debuting the same day as Florida and Oklahoma states, maybe it gets swallowed up a little bit. So they'll have their own little, little moment a little bit later in the um, later in the spring. So, but yeah, good, good year for ballparks in college baseball. And um, I guess the, the other shoe dropping on that is we, we have not yet done the full accounting. And I mean that in a literal sense, accounting, the full accounting of 
what this pandemic has done to athletic department budgets. Um, that will have to shake out over the next couple of years once we get back to something like a normal football season, hopefully in 21, normal basketball season in 21, and NCAA tournament basketball in 22. You know, it's going to take a couple of years, but um, projects that are already in progress, you know, might get a little bit of shelter, but you could definitely see a scenario where there, there maybe were some projects that were a little further along that might get pushed back. So that is the other shoe dropping there of the timing of that, where if you, if you got your project in, in time, that's some good fortune. Um, if you, if you didn't have shovels in the ground, it might be a little bit harder to get that off the ground until at least a couple of years down the road. Yeah. I mean, so much of that is tied to you know, private donations. So like what the stock market is doing is going to be significant for that. And, you know, while that's probably a totally right prediction, Joe, like I, I will say though that everyone that thought there wasn't going to be a football coaching carousel this year uh, was proven dead wrong. And, you know, private donations flowed for buyout money. So never, never say never in terms of that and the stock market bounced back quicker than um, you know, most of the rest of the economy. And so the people that, you know, are able to make donations based on, you know, their portfolios seem like they recovered okay, perhaps, you know, better than okay even. And, uh, you know, so we'll, we'll see where, where, it co- where it goes in, in terms of some of those, those kinds of projects. But uh, yeah, I, I would expect that for the most part, the, the building boom will die down for a couple of years here. I guess all you need is a, we'll just, we're just going to start calling him Binghamton guy. Although I guess it, it you know, could be a woman, but Binghamton person, um, you know, all you Binghamton need is your own. Alum. Yes. Binghamton alum. All you need is a unnamed Binghamton alum to come along for your school. And I guess you're in business. So, I mean, that point I mean, is, I, I know that Fullerton released this month, some renderings of, um, you know, it's not a new stadium, but uh, I think there's a new clubhouse and team stuff um rooms coaches offices etc facility kind of things without being a new stadium at godwin um so we'll we'll see uh we'll see how much other places come with that and i'm offhandedly not sure what fullerton's timeline is on that but you know that that kind of stuff isn't going away i don't think all right so we've covered a lot of ground here um we uh we we should get back to our, our magazine preview uh, work. We've, we've got a lot to, to do, you know, not, not just for the magazine, but for online, um, you know, as we, we prepare for all of the, the college preview goodies that, that you have come to, to know and love over the, the many years of, of Baseball America doing this. I guess that's now 40 years. This is the 40th anniversary of the publication. Um, so we got, we'll, we'll get back to that. We will come back at you with another podcast, probably not next week. I think we're going to hunker down, finish the magazine, and then come back uh, on the, uh, the, what is that, the 25th, and we'll have a top 25 for you then. And from there, Joe and I will be rolling out all kinds of preview coverage over the next few weeks, the top 25, the All-America teams, the conference previews, features, and, and, and more to, to get you ready for the season. So look for us to take next week and then come back with a, a veritable cornucopia of um, college baseball preview coverage uh, uh, at, at the end of the month. 
Um, so until then, check out the website. We got a lot of stuff going on over there. The the pro side is really um, you know hitting the the finishing stretch with the the top ten prospects for the thirty big league organizations leading up to a a, a new top one hundred prospects uh, throughout professional baseball. So check that out over on the website. Pre-order your prospect handbook, uh, which will be coming out in less than a month. Um, you know, I, I think people that are that order it directly from us can expect to see that, you know, sometime in early February. Uh, I, I hesitate to to say exactly when to I don't want to get everyone's hopes up, but that is coming quickly. It has been sent to the presses. So uh, hopefully it'll get in in the hands of uh, of everyone that, that's bought that book uh, w- within the next few weeks here, uh, as I know everyone has fantasy drafts and, and the like to get ready for. Um, if you need more college baseball coverage, there's plenty of it uh, on the website as well. And and if you uh, want to subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, plenty in the archives as well uh, when you when you look back, last week we had Randy Hood on. Uh, a few weeks ago we had Coach Kaz on from Air Force, Mark Kingston from South Carolina. So a lot of great guests uh, for you to get caught up on again as as we get ready for this 2021 season. You can follow Joe and me on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. Until we talk to you next time, I want to thank you guys for listening. Thank you to Rap Soto for presenting the Baseball America College podcast. Thank you to Will Bolt for joining us today. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time on the Baseball America College podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.